a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Jia Vandenberg. Coming up on the program. Competitive Edge, President Xi Jinping visits Shanghai examining efforts to boost its status as a global financial hub and enhance competitiveness. Smart Vehicles, the inaugural China International Supply Chain Expo enters its third day in Beijing with the focus shifting to cutting-edge smart vehicle technologies and innovations. Climate change, the UN's COP28 summit kicks off in Dubai later today, bringing together global leaders to address urgent climate change challenges and seek collaborative solutions. Chinese President Xi Jinping has visited Shanghai, where he went to several venues and learned about the city's efforts to strengthen its competitiveness as an international financial hub. Li Jingyi has more. Chinese President Xi Jinping visited the Shanghai Futures Exchange during an inspection tour in East China's Shanghai on Tuesday and Wednesday. He was briefed on the city's efforts in strengthening its competitiveness as an international financial center. The Futures Exchange was formally founded in 1999. To date, it has launched 23 futures and 9 options, covering metals, energy, chemicals, shipping, and other fields. It is one of the world's three major non-ferrous metal pricing centers. The Futures Exchange has developed high-quality pricing for bulk commodity futures. For several years, its trading volume has ranked on the world's top list. Xi's two-day inspection also included an exhibition on Shanghai's SciTech innovations. Exhibition demonstrates the city's major achievements in fields such as basic research, integrated circuits, artificial intelligence, biomedicine and high-end equipment. Shanghai has been working to build itself into an international science and technology innovation center. Xi Jinping also paid a visit to a government-subsidized rental housing community located in a pilot zone of AI innovation in the Minhang district. The community provides 138 rooms with 440 beds for urban workers. The rental pricing is based on market prices, but it also takes the income levels of the target group into account. China's manufacturing activity experienced a second consecutive month of contraction in November and at a faster rate, according to an official factory survey released on Thursday. This suggests that additional government policy support measures may be necessary to bolster economic growth. The official purchasing manager's index dropped to 49.4 in November from 49.5 in October, remaining below the 50-point threshold that indicates contraction rather than expansion. Experts attribute part of this slowdown in demand to seasonal factors. Meanwhile, the non-manufacturing PMI also weakened, declining from 50.6 in October to 50.2 in November, but it remained above the 50 threshold, indicating expansion in the non-manufacturing sector. Now, for more discussions on the latest economic data, we're joined by Liu Zhiqin, Senior Fellow of the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. So, uh, Mr. Liu, um, we're seeing, you know, uh, further contraction in manufacturing activities um, in November. Shall we be concerned? 
I should say that we have something or good reason to concern about the further development of our economy. Especially we see the data, if we break down the data in detail, so we can see a tendency or trend that jobs become the major word to describe the economic data in November. From this, uh, the main index is 49.5%. This is a job. So the, also we see that some uh, factors uh, and also uh, detailed ide uh, identification, we can see many jobs that happened uh, repeatedly. For instance, it's quite interesting we see that if we see the size of the companies, we can see that bigger companies have a little bit increased, but as uh, middle-sized and small-sized job quite a lot. So these are the major two jobs that depends on the size of the company. Actually, there's no direct relations between the business quality and the speed of the development with the size of the company. But now this is in November and even in October, we can see such tendencies that bigger companies have a good resistance, risk resistance. So they always have a better power to deal with the challenges and the problems. But for middle-sized and small-sized, they have bigger problems. So this is really a good point that for us to be concerned. And from the factors, uh, factors itself, we can see five indexes that only two of them had a, a little bit increased. The other three major factors are dropped down. If we see that some factors and factors from the non-manufacturing section, all the five categories, we can see three of them also dropped. Only two of them have a little bit increased. All these uh, tendencies should be concerned or should be uh, paid great attention to have more effective, more target-oriented policy to support the further development of this economy in order to promote the real resilience and the potential uh, development and also dynamity of our economy in order to increase the uh, confidence. But one thing I have to say, the most important impressive figure is that the confidence in the production's expectation is 59.8%. This is the highest. That shows that the market remains very confidential in the future. They are waiting for new policies from the government. So that's why the people and the market are really willing to have more stable and sustainable trend in the development, especially from the policy side. We should try to have more policies, more target-oriented and more powerful supportive policies to stimulate our economy. You mentioned SMEs are more vulnerable than bigger companies, manufacturing companies. What do you think can be done to help with these SMEs and become more resistant and resilient? And in terms of sectors, what specific areas within the manufacturing research and development should be given priority in the next phase of investment? But from this uh, statistic, we see also some facts that shows the greater potential and also greater dynamic in development, especially for the transportation, including the water, uh, river transportations, and also communications, especially satellite transmission industry services, and especially also in the monetary policy or financial section, that uh, the profits and also confidence come back uh, quite high. All these figures are better than the margin. So in this we can see a good tendency and a priority for to invest uh, to have more efforts in this field, especially for communication technologies and also financial sectors. As we know that the central government has already set up central uh, commission in charge of the financial 
reform and financial development, but this is what we should pay great attention. All right, very interesting. Thank you so much for your insights. Liu Zhiqin, Senior Fellow of the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. The first China International Supply Chain Expo is underway in Beijing with the theme of connecting the world for a shared future. The five-day event is not only the first of its kind on a national level, but also marks China's unwavering commitment to ensuring the stability and efficiency of global industrial and supply chains. For more on the expo, my colleague Michael Wang is already standing by at the China International Exhibition Center. Hey there, Michelle, and welcome everyone on site at the China International Supply Chain Expo. We've got over 500 companies from China and abroad, plus global institutions are all participating this year, from clean energy to health, digital tech to smart vehicles and green agriculture. This expo features five major supply chain themes, with some companies showcasing their entire industry chains at the event. Now, our Aaron Liu is on the ground at the Smart Vehicle Expo area of the event, and our Peter Oliver joins us from Berlin. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Aaron, I want to begin with you. Look, China, we know, is home to the largest EV market in the world. It plays a key role in the global supply chain for the production and sale of NEVs. What more can you tell us on that front, Aaron? Sir Michael, there are over 80 companies distributed here. You can see a large area on the right, mainly showcasing upstream and downstream companies. I'm at a CETR exhibition area featuring the Qilin battery. This product has attracted global attention, and experts have said that it marks a new era in the field of new energy vehicles. You can see that the CETL's Qilin battery, which is powered by the new cell-to-pack CTP technology, can go in a core like 621 miles or 1,000 kilometers on a single charge. CDP batteries refer to integrating batteries cells directly into the battery pack without the models used in most current pack designs. Experts say that the technical indicators of the Qilin battery are basically 10% to 15% higher than the traditional batteries. So it's a big step forward for the battery industry. In terms of smart car sales, China, Europe, and the United States at the top three global electric vehicle markets, China's position in the supply chain is between the middle and the lower reaches. In 2022, China was the largest electric vehicle sales market, accounting for 60% of global electric vehicle sales. Meanwhile, to meet the demand for the European car market, CTL has established a factory in Germany. And the initial planned capacity here is the 14 gigawatt hours. Here is the 14, enough to meet the demand for about 200,000 electric vehicles per year. Another example of deep integration to the global industrial chain is Tesla. Currently, the localization rate of the parts at Shanghai Gigafactory is over 95%, and the automation rate is over 95% without car being produced in less than 40 seconds. Currently, the production of the entire Shanghai Gigabyte factory accounts for over 50% of Tesla's global production. Tesla's successful manufacturing in China has also brought this business card to various global markets. So how has Tesla grown together with Chinese players? Earlier, I interviewed Tesla's vice president of manufacturing, Song Gang. Take a listen. 
2019, not only did we establish the Shanghai Gigafactory, but we also made significant progress in localizing the supply chain. Rather than solely relying on purchasing components in China, Tesla aimed to fundamentally cooperate with suppliers. We proposed a slogan to our suppliers called co-prosperity through mutual growth, emphasizing living in a healthy ecological environment and working towards common goals with the shared pursuit of technology. In terms of product development, the entire production process and quality control, we have had deep cooperation with our suppliers in various aspects, including digitalization. The localization rate of our components in China has reached more than 95%. And over the past period, we have had over 400 local first-tier suppliers in China. In the days to come, we will further expand our supply base. Throughout the process of nurturing suppliers, we have introduced more than 60 Chinese suppliers onto the global stage, including our other manufacturing bases. By participating in this supply chain expo, we hope to have more interaction with China's supply chain. In fact, the success of our supply chain has to a large extent contributed to our success in China. Only with such a comprehensive and progressive supply chain in China could we achieve such remarkable results in such a short time. It also gives us more confidence to help these supply chain enterprises have more confidence in the front-end materials, including research and development technology, manufacturing technology implementation, and digital growth. Right, so we're going to have more on Tesla in just a second. But Peter, I want to come to you because Germany, we know, is a key node in global supply chains when it comes to manufacturing and, of course, when it comes to automobiles. Uh, the German industrial sector has strong links with supply chains here in China. Talk to us more about this relationship. Right, well, Germany has big ambitions when it comes to electric cars, EVs. They want to put 15 million of them on Germany's roads by the end of the decade. When I say they, I mean the transport ministry just behind me. Um, that's a big ask because currently, according to the vehicle registration department here in Germany, only 1.3 million are on Germany's roads right now. In order to do that, they are going to need the help of Chinese companies who are those big masters at the moment in producing electric vehicles, more importantly, affordable electric vehicles. And that is really being seen when you look at the supply chain, the global supply chain, and how it's affected in imports here in Germany. A 75% increase in the first half of 2023 when it comes to vehicle imports from China and component imports from China in the oil automobile industry. A lot of that to do with the EV market. Germany also wants to be a leading player when it comes to automation in cars as well. But what the problem there is, that's when you get Germany's ambition colliding with Germany's well, regulations. Because although Germany is the home of the, the Autobahn, the speed-free, uh, the speed-limit-free motorway, it's also the home of some of the strictest rules in the world. And of course, you would want to see rules in place on uh, automated on you know, driverless vehicles going on public roads and they are making sure that those those rules are extremely strict before people are allowed to to drive 
driverless on public roads. Realistically, though, what we are seeing is an increase in the number of Chinese vehicles being seen here in Germany. But we're also seeing an increase in the number of German vehicles that are going to be built in China. In fact, in 2025, 2026, BMW set to launch a whole new range of new fully electric SUVs that will be built wholly in China. It's a circular system, the supply chain. And it involves both the Chinese electric vehicles coming here and the German luxury brands, your BMWs, your Mercedes, your Audis. They're going over to China. They're already in China, of course, some 350 production facilities they have. And they're going to be ramping up that in the coming years as well. Yeah, absolutely. BMW, Volkswagen, Mercedes all have big operations here in China. Peter, many thanks for that report. Our Peter Oliver for us in Berlin and our Aaron Liu live for us at the Smart Vehicle Exhibition Area of the Supply Chain Expo. Uh, Aaron, Peter, uh, thank you to you both. So indeed, going back to Tesla, our reporters are tracking each link from Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory to its outlets over in Thailand, finding out the importance of this process. Take a look. This is Tesla Model Y, and believe it or not, every new one of these can be rolled out in just 40 seconds, or the time it takes to really park a car. And it all happens right here at its Gigafactory Shanghai, right behind me. So how is everything possible? Today, let's go and find out. Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory marked the projection of its 2 million electric vehicle, just 13 months after the counter turned 1 million. And to learn the secret behind the company's remarkable efficiency, the staff at Tesla generously agreed to give me a tour of the factory floor. Now at this area of the factory, you can barely see any staff, right? Um, that is because the majority of the production process here are completed by robotic arms, as you can see behind me. And all of them are also connected to one cloud system that registers every single movement of the robotic arms and tools. And employees uh, will oversee the whole process to make sure that everything is assembled as it should be. And according to the staff here, the availability of impressive production ramp can be partly attributed to its location in Shanghai's pilot free trade zone. It's the Lingang uh, port, uh, the port location, uh, the free trade zone that they're operating in, which gives them the ability to run a very efficient business for uh, selling internationally uh, without having to deal with a lot of customs uh, and, you know, import tax uh, overhead. Um, on top of that, I think they just got a very good uh, encouragement from the Shanghai government. And obviously the Shanghai environment, uh, it is an automotive hub uh, for China. It already has a very mature uh, logistics and, and infrastructure for uh, the automotive industry supply chain. Uh, so I think, you know, location here is a, is a really a perfect location. It is all about location when a company must choose where to put its business premises. And Tesla certainly seems to have that down to a fine art. At Shanghai, everything the factory needs is virtually at its fingertips. As a wholly foreign-owned project, the team at Tesla Shanghai is 99.9% .9 Chinese. And their supply chain is also over 95% localized, which means that over 95% of all the parts in the whole factory come from local suppliers. Meanwhile, unlike other multinational companies that come to China, to only sell in China. Tesla's Gigafactory in Shanghai eyed the entire global market. It has become a global export hub for the company, whose cars now sell across the Asia-Pacific, Europe, and North America. Data shows that the Shanghai facility accounted for more than half 
of Tesla's global sales in 2022. Amidst the sea of cars, there are some vehicles that offer ecological-friendly relief to Bangkok's traffic juggernaut. And it's the Chinese EVs that have been at the forefront of Thailand's electric vehicle revolution. Thailand's free trade agreement with China gives Chinese electric vehicles an advantage over rivals due to the zero import tariff they enjoy as compared with the 20% levied on Japanese EVs. Something that worked in Tesla's favor. The majority of Teslas on Thailand's streets are Chinese-made. Tesla's large-scale and cost-effective Shanghai factory has played a huge role in driving down production costs. A 40% decrease in the price tag has made electric dreams within reach for many Thais. The launch came quicker than they expected, and the starting price made everyone excited. The cars came at a price that many people could afford. So when Tesla launched, it energized the entire EV market in Thailand. At Tesla's first showroom and service center in Thailand, Model 3 and Model Y have been a hit. This one-stop destination has cemented Tesla's foray into the Thai market. Tesla's arrival to Thailand brings a new range of electric vehicle options to the market, giving a boost to the country's EV industry, largely thanks to its competitive pricing and brand value. It's a big step for Thailand's transition to sustainable energy and to ultimately become the regional EV hub of Southeast Asia. Because this land of gasoline, diesel and LPG-fueled vehicles is in dire need of a transformation. The perpetual traffic jams will likely remain, but the plumes of black smoke, the growl of engines, could become a distant memory, as Chinese-made electric vehicles lead the way to greener pastures. Lucita Saogao, CGTN, Bangkok, Thailand. The 2023 UN Climate Change Conference is about to kick off in 10 minutes today with delegates from nearly 200 countries arriving at the COP28 venue. This year's conference taking place in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, will run from November 30th to December 12th, 2023. As the host country and a member of OPEC, the UAE aims to promote a vision of low-carbon future that includes rather than excludes fossil fuels. However, this approach supported by other major oil producing nations is expected to highlight the divergent views among countries regarding how to address global warming. Adnan Atmin, the CEO of COP28, expressed his belief that Amirati uh, officials are dedicated to delivering a transformative conference. I think they're focused on delivering a transformational COP. They're focused on creating a platform for everybody to have the ability to discuss on ambitious climate action. The messages I will take with me to the COP include, one, the need to conclude work and operationalize the funds and funding arrangements for loss and damage. Two, the need to support the COP28 presidency's bid to triple renewable energy capacity. Three, the need to urgently and dramatically scale up support for adaptation, and four, finally, but most importantly, the need for unity and solidarity. 
Now, for more on the latest from the COP28 climate summit in Dubai, we're joined by Daisy Shen, the China head of climate and sustainability at KPMG. Hi there, Daisy. Good to see you. Um, so, ringing in carbon emissions and the use of fossil fuels are expected to be in the spotlight this year. What do you think will top the agenda at COP28? Hi, Michelle. It's my pleasure to be here. I think the COP28 is a great global platform to bring together the government, the private sector, as well as the civil society to identify solutions and looking into the challenge, how to work towards the Paris Agreement. This year's COP will conduct the first ever global stock take, which will be a critical milestone to evaluate the process. This also after a year of extreme weather events, as well as you know, people say that the 2023 could be the hottest year in history. I was in Shanghai in early November, the temperature was 26. So the world is not on track in terms of you know, reducing the climate pressure and also uh, we're leading to a climate, uh, climate crisis. So I think it's very important for people to get together, really to get committed, but also take actions as a matter of urgency. And in terms of like the key, you know, matter of interest and the areas of focus, I would summarize as, you know, the first one is accelerate renewable energy transition. The second one is really to base down fossil fuels, as well as to establish the framework for financing to support the energy transition. Yeah, and what do you think will be the focus of discussions in terms of low carbon economic development? I think the COP28 is a great opportunity for the whole world to focus on the climate change and how to achieve a just transition as we're moving towards a world of the renewable. It will also be an like intensive examination of the high emission sectors as countries. As well, I think the capital mobilization is needed in particular for those emerging economies. One thing I'd like to note is that we all recognize that the energy transition will not happen overnight. And as we switch you know, towards energy, clean energy, it is also important to bear in mind that the people in the country would also need to have access to, you know, accessible, um, you know, energy as well as affordability and energy security. KPMG believes that there's a strong need to step up investment both in renewable energies as well as investment in the low carbon technology related, uh, you know, green solutions. That's how KPMG has been supporting our global clients, investing in solar, winds, and also hydrogen, you know, storage, CCUS. I think these are all very essential to deliver a net zero world. Uh, the other focus I would like to say is the climate financing will be a key issue to be discussed at COP. Ahead of COP, there is an increasing, you know, support for the new global goal, like we mentioned just now in the, in the, in the news about tripling the renewable energy capacity, as well as the expectation of you know, doubling the speed of energy efficiency by 2030. However, these promises and you know, commitment and pledges will not be achieved without sustainable financing. So it's time for the government, the bilateral, you know, the multilateral banks, as well as private sectors to really develop the action plan to triple their portion of the investment in the financing into the renewable energies. Like what they said before is that the COP focus on delivering the old promises, but also establish the new financing work, uh, framework for finance, in particular related to those emerging economies. Yeah, great insights. Always great to have on, you on the show. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Daisy Shen, China Head of Climate and Sustainability at KPMG for us. And that will do it for this edition of Global Business. I'm Jia Vandenberg in Beijing. Thank you for watching. Bye for now.